Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because today we are joined by two lovely guests, a father-son combo comprised of both educators and musicians who both share a love of The Simpsons. Today, I'm delighted to welcome both Rob and Jameson McGee to the podcast. Welcome to the show, y'all. How you doing, Rob? How you doing, Jameson? Hello. Hello, doing great. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. 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 Thank you for coming. It's it's uh, short notice a little bit. We saw the, the Simpsons thing and I immediately told Trey, it's like, oh, I know two people <laughs> love to talk Simpsons with us. Well, we are honored to be asked. Yes. I've been like extra excited as well because the way Jude pitched it to me is I think you two may not be as well versed in the MCU. Correct. On the flip side. Yes. I have seen the Simpsons movie, and I think that's it. So this this wow. compilation was just perfect for this moment, and I'm really, yeah. really excited. Okay, yeah, I, I have mixed feelings because part of me is deeply offended. Oh, uh, no! And, 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 no and, and worried for you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm concerned. But, but then the other half of me is relieved because I was like, we're going on a podcast with people who are like know every little thing. And I'm like, <laughs> the other day in conversation, literally a day or two ago, we were we were talking and I was trying to think of Iron Man and it took me like 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so that's I've seen a lot more than just the one movie, but I, I'm my knowledge is severely limited to put mm-hmm. it mildly. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll help each other out. Perfect. All right. I, I, I like I'm going to be work. honest. I've seen the movie. <gasps> Go ahead, Trey. I didn't know I, we're on the, the same. Yeah, like I've seen the movie, and I remember watching The Simpsons middle school, high school. So that's the 90s. But after that, I haven't watched a lot of Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So I'm way behind. Well, if nothing else, what seasons do they need to get, Jameson? We need to expose them to the the golden years, which are usually... Yeah, Yeah, golden age is often debated. Those are essentially the seasons that people tend to agree are the Simpsons at their best. Um, which just to give you an idea, like the movie came out, I think, I think, uh, right before season 19 or maybe right after season 19. It sounds um, I'm not totally sure though, but it was well past what was widely considered the golden age of the Simpsons, which being generous, most people would say seasons two through nine. Um, mm-hmm. And then you start to get, you know, where the Simpsons go in a, a different stylistic direction that a lot of the core fans were not very pleased with. And if you go mm-hmm. before that to season one, then you have very much the same quality of storytelling that is there in the golden age, but without much of the humor at all, which is interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. We, uh, Jude, uh, well, actually, I'll have to invite you both out. We've planned for a long time until the pandemic hit. Um, our buddy Fred has never seen The Simpsons. Wow, and really? Patrick and I were always like, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. And so we've been planning for a long time to have a Simpsons night spe- with specific catered episodes picked for Fred, particularly stuff that has to do with history or military or, you know, uh, politics, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And now that we are in a better place, knock on wood, yeah, we're going to try to get that going this summer. So you guys should join us for that, and we'll get you a, a really nice, quick four or five episode introduction to the very best of the Simpsons. Oh, I, I'm down. I'm down. Yes. Just let me know when. Yeah. Two, the two things coming to mind right now is one, 
I love that you two are so familiar with The Simpsons and already showing the kind of caring people you are that you can hand curate like Simpsons episodes. <laughs> but that also speaks to The Simpsons for how long it's been running that you can hand curate specific episodes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So, so I saw what on Disney Plus? It's season 31. It just now started streaming. That sounds right. Is that the most recent season? I thought it was 32. 32 is the most recent. I could okay. be wrong because I know I know I I look at the I try to track the reviews for the Simpsons just to see kind of how they're doing in the public's eye, and uh, I, I saw some reviews for season 32 that were out for some early episodes. So I don't know if those okay. are on Disney Plus, but they're out somewhere. Maybe Hulu. I know they're streaming on Hulu too. Well, I'm already super excited for this because we we've already jumped into the Simpsons. But I, I do want to take some time here because, as we said in the intro, you know, you, you two are really, really talented musicians. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to listen to a couple of the songs on that recent compilation album uh, that y'all put out. And mm-hmm. I, I was wondering if you two could shed some insight into how long you've been playing music and how that evolved into Tuba Steven Records. Jameson, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been playing drum set which is my primary instrument mm-hmm. there there are a couple tracks where i play drums on the compilation one of them was a demo that my old band did so it's just like us practicing mm-hmm. recording on an iphone but i've been playing drums since i was about six years old and i'm 22 oh. now and i've been playing guitar you know with any kind of uh the only you know like i i haven't been serious about guitar i've known like a couple chords here and there but but lately mm-hmm. i've been trying to figure out a way to play guitar without actually knowing how to play guitar very well <laughs> and um kind of figuring out like okay what tunings can i do can i use a capo here how can i make it sound you know a little more legit than it actually is um while still keeping it lo-fi and that's been for the probably the better part of two years uh, I've been playing guitar, and in terms of how it formed into Tuba Steven Records, it was it was really my brother Jeremiah who was kind of the the main person behind the formation of the record label. But basically, when I left this band that I was in called Bliss that I was in all through high school, mm-hmm. I later joined a band with my brother, his girlfriend, and a, another friend of ours uh, called the Hildies. And we started uh, playing a few, we played a few shows before the pandemic hit. We put out a couple EPs and we started thinking like, you know, maybe we, we want to try to be on a local record label. Maybe this is something that could, could help us long-term. And we started kind of looking and getting a little bit disheartened by the way that record labels seem to work, even at the local level. And so we were like, well, why don't, why don't we just kind of create our own thing? that we can be under and invite other bands to be in that is a little atypical for the record label scene and that we don't Mm -hmm. take any of the earnings for the records that we help produce and promote and distribute. Um, Rather it's just, you know, they pay us whatever we need to get their albums pressed on vinyl, pressed on CDs, promoted and distributed and recorded and then they keep a hundred percent of whatever they make 
Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. So we just kind of wanted to do something a little different. We didn't see anyone doing that, so we just decided to kind of draw something out of thin air, I guess. <laughs> that That's really cool. And Dad, you've been playing music for a very long time now, right? Yeah, some <laughs> some form or another for my my whole life, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my, my parents' favorite stories <laughs> is uh, my, my dad was a priest. And so there, we were always, you know, obviously around the church and churches we were serving. And at one point when I was like three years old, I had a couple of guitars around the house and they had, this was, you know, early mid seventies. So perfect for like the folky uh, kind of churchy kind of thing going on. And, uh, and there was a group of, you know, like teenage kids uh, who would, who would play folk songs at the mass and they let me sit in with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited and I loved it. I loved it. I always carried my little, guitar to to church every Sunday. And then one Sunday we were getting ready to leave and my mom said, uh, don't you want to take your guitar? And I said, no. She said, why? And what had happened the week before was there was some dramatic stop in the song that I didn't know about. And I kept Uh playing and I hurt myself. (laughs) (laughs) And three-year-old me realized how terrible I was. Oh no. (laughs) And so I put my guitar up for a while, but then, um, uh, uh, actually, a guy at our church, a really cool old jazz musician guy, gave me my, my pride and joy is this Gibson Ethel Archtop, like 1951 guitar that that uh, and he just gave it to me one day when I was in like seventh grade. And I immediately fell in love with it and started trying to learn how to play seriously. And then high school, you know, formed a band. And then some of those core guys stayed on the, through college and formed a band. And we played fairly seriously, you know, kind of throughout the 90s and early 2000s and the toll puddle martyrs uh and uh it's been a, a centrally important part of my life ever since and it's 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 very very cool as a musician and as a father to see your children pick it up and run with it and be and then be better than you which is i have mixed feelings about <laughs> but it's uh, no it's it's very very satisfying and that's been one of uh, to talk about you know the Oleo compilation or Tuba Steven records in general or the corn streams that we did, um, it's 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 a multi generational kind of thing and it really is this extended kind of family community. You know, I mean, Jameson was in a band with multiple of the guys who were on there, and one of the guys, Gabe, his dad Terry Tompkins, is this amazing musician, and he's playing too. And then julie and i are on there and jason and jeremiah it's it's just this very kind of large extended family as cheesy as that sounds it's um it's true and i love that they're doing it out of love of music and i love that jameson you know is, is approaching the guitar in a unique way i think all of that all of the diy stuff all of the let me try to do something original and unique uh i uh that's where my that's where my heart and soul are i think it's beautiful yeah, that's that's wonderful because I, it's not the same there. But one of the things Trey and I talk about is just once we started doing this podcast and meeting other podcasters and getting to know them and, mm-hmm. um, like you said, that sense of family and and building the friendships and from what you were saying, just the the purse the the close personal connections that y'all are able to have has a really strong community, you know, feel. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you and I talk a lot and you mentioned the word uh, family and you also mentioned the word tribe a lot. And, yes. and I know that that's super important to you and that's really cool that y'all are able to put that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been, it's been really fun and really satisfying. Mm-hmm. 
And then, and this, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was saying, and then this, uh, you know, this gig at Rubber Gloves coming up the, that we were talking about on Wednesday is going to be is exciting because we love the corn streams series. That was really fun. But this is going to be kind of a coming out party, like our first uh, as as you know as the record label and some of the artists on the record label the first really public show. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and so that'll be fun to actually get together in person and play live. So, yeah, yeah. that's really really exciting. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned doing these streams of the music during the quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, and how did it compare to performing in like you were mentioning with this, like a more traditional venue? Um, you want to take that, Jameson? Or you want me to? Uh, I can. I can give an answer to that. Yeah. Um... It was really interesting. I, I'd say the first thing that was noteworthy about it to me was getting to perform a show from the comfort of your own home. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're a, a local musician who's just trying to, you know, kind of make a name for yourself, if you're lucky enough in the local scene, you know, you're, you're going to be playing some really disgusting clubs. <laughs> <laughs> like some some really like disturbing couches that I've sat on through the years in the green rooms, and and yes. to be in like you know a clean house with air conditioning and and all that, it was it was really nice to to you know comfortably play a rock and roll show. It's kind of surreal, but um, I, I I've really enjoyed um, you know I mean I think it's maybe a little obvious, but. Uh, this uh, the sense of connection through through the comment section and getting to joke around and 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 see the comments mm-hmm. of your friends as you're playing. Um, it just kind of reminds you that they're there, you know, and that you know you do have this this community that you had before the pandemic, and this is just kind of a a modern way in which you can kind of reconnect with that that core group of people in your life and so that that was really meaningful too yeah i think this was i think this was our primary version of what a lot of people experienced during the pandemic which was yeah eventually maybe you get sick of the zoom calls or this and that but particularly early on in the spring and early summer where it was like hey we're gonna have an english department you know um get together happy hour or whatever. I'm going to get together with the old guys from the band and just catch up. And you so looked forward to that. And this was the main thing for us that we looked forward to. There was just like an energy on, you know, Friday evenings that, you know, if we were playing, there was a lot of energy and nervousness and excitement. Um, and it was really cool to play as a family, um, as again, as cheesy as some people might think that is, you know, but, uh, to have our family band, we, we, it was it was really a lot of fun, and we were doing promo shots and dressing up and having a good time, and, and that was really exciting. But we got just as excited when it was, you know, Terry or Terry and Gabe or uh, Michael West or uh, you know uh, Lindy and Oliver, any any of these people, whoever was playing, it was it was such a break from the monotony, and it was our favorite thing in the world, music, and with some of your favorite people, and like Jameson was saying. We developed this whole kind of there were like running jokes and gags with with all the posting on instagram with all mm-hmm. the little like kind of comment mm-hmm. section on the side mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm gonna get my my words wrong but yeah <laughs> they even developed these you know ongoing jokes and we try to like 
you know, outdo each other and have, you know, running gags uh, with various people. And all of it just, you know, was a break from that monotony, but also a, a sense of kind of a celebration of this little community of people. It was really fun. Yeah. No, I remember the first couple who I watched. In fact, I would take, I would be editing our early episodes of this podcast and I'd stop. And it's like, okay, concert's on. We got to watch. There you go. Uh, comment. Yeah. 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 It was, it was great. <laughs> well, you got a song dedicated to you at one point, didn't you? I oh, did. really? I got a request. I had a request and you played it. It was fantastic. Penny Lane, right? Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And, and of course, everything that we've been talking about, uh, you can find that on Tuba Steven Records on Instagram. Or if you go to tubastevenrecords.bandcamp.com slash releases, you can find that compilation album we were talking about. Um, and we'll mention it again at the end. And, of course, we'll have that in the show notes as well. But, of course, and if you're... Oh, sorry. It's Stephen with a PH. Stephen with a PH. Which I would say is the only real way to spell it, but I'm sure somebody listening has a... <laughs> has spells a it with a V. And, and, and so, I'll, you know... That's a I good apologize. catch. Thank you. No, no, no. I, I appreciate that. But yes, like if you've downloaded this episode, uh, you know we're going to be talking about the Simpsons Marvel crossover special that they did. And so before we get into that, um, I wanted to see if we could take some time and talk about your connection, if any, to the MCU. Um, so, Jameson, if we want to start with you, what's your knowledge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, I would say that I have a basic understanding of the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it has developed so much since I saw the Avengers when I was maybe in early high school or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the first Avengers movie, it's, it's developed into such a complex plot, um, that also deals with multiple different timelines and conceptions of reality and it's yes. it's really a lot to keep up with and I, i'll admit i i've kind of watched the movies it's been uh, a point of social interaction in my life where you know some friends before the pandemic would say you know like you know let's go watch the new whatever new marvel movie was coming out and so i watched them and i enjoyed them and I felt a lot of emotions, but I never really went home and like really thought about them or analyzed mm -hmm. them philosophically in any serious way. And that mm -hmm. is the primary way by which I tend to understand and really get into a cinematic universe or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think I'll be able to follow a lot of what you guys are saying in terms of any deep philosophical insights. Oh, trust me, you'll be able to follow us. To... No problem. As far as that goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> My philosophical thoughts are very surface level. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy the movies. I've particularly, um, infinity war and end game. Mm -hmm. I thought were mm -hmm. brilliant. You know, I, I said I haven't really gotten into them philosophically, but those two I actually have a little bit now that I think mm -hmm. about it. I've thought a lot yeah. about those movies and what they have to offer philosophically. Yeah, cool. Rob, what about you? Um, a lot like Jameson. I know there's this out there, uh, there's this big, you know, polarized, are you a DC or are you a Marvel person <laughs> for, for a lot of people? <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and, and we as a family... 
I can't believe I'm saying this on the podcast, but we as a family historically have leaned more DC than Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I think that was driven by Jeremiah because Jeremiah got really, really, really into some of the uh, the Superman movies and, and then the Batman, particularly the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which are excellent. Oh, they're fantastic. And so we were watching this these over and over. So I, I would say sometimes to upset my students who tended to be Marvel people, I throw out, you know, well, I'm a DC guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you could get a quick reaction from them. But really all along, as much as I do like a lot of the DC stuff, I I think I wanted to dislike Marvel and play that polarized I'm on this I'm in this camp game. But as soon as you watch, you know, I think I watched like the first Iron Man or something. We we're like, this is hilarious and this is really exciting and this is brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. So I really like, I like all, uh, I like all of them. I thought Black Panther was amazing. Oh yeah. I thought, like James said, there, there, there's so much philosophical stuff going on, particularly with like uh, Endgame. We played off of some of the Marvel stuff in a couple of years in our summer camp. And I've, I've found that, well, I'll put it this way. I've enjoyed, I think, every Marvel TV show or movie that I've watched, mm-hmm. including, you know, we just started watching Loki tonight. We we're like, okay, this is great. Uh, I don't know that there's been a single Marvel movie that I haven't enjoyed and appreciated. I think, I think Marvel does action and comedy better than DC. I think DC at its best does character study. Um, and like, I just watched Joker. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, I, I mm-hmm. think I think DC at its best can really go into take a deep dark dive into the human mind, uh, even better than Marvel does. But you, you want you want action and comedy with a lot of depth there too. But you want that just the classic big screen experience. I think Marvel's about as good as it gets. They they do a really nice job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting insight. I, I like the way that you set their differentiators of how the DC movies do get to explore those character driven stuff a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that makes me want to revisit some of those DC films. Yeah. You yeah, gotta go have back to go do a Nolan trilogy. I was about to say the same thing Do a Nolan rewatch. I still need to go see Joker. I've been <laughs> dragging my feet on that. It's my, without giving anything away. I, my review of Joker is this. I was kept bracing myself for all of this kind of ultra violence and mm-hmm. it it wasn't near. I mean, it was there was some graphic stuff. There's definitely violence, but it wasn't nearly as over the top and shocking from a violent standpoint as I thought it would be. But mm-hmm. from a psychological standpoint, and from the idea of you know this guy's mental struggles and his relationship with society and his love, like it was, it's bleak mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. and it's 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 rough. Um, yeah. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, it, and that's kind of a tough watch from that point. Yeah, and that's why I've been dragging my feet on it. But I need to. I need to finally watch it. Mm-hmm. It's really well done, and his, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is amazing, and and all of that. Yeah, he's an incredible actor. And it's thought provoking, but it's definitely like heavy and dark and sad. Mm-hmm. Well, on the polar opposite end of that spectrum, uh, I think we can go ahead and jump into our discussion of this Simpsons Marvel crossover, which is entitled The Good, The Bart, and The Loki. <laughs> so uh, we can kind of circle through our, our general reactions to this. It's, it's a very short piece, only six minutes. Mm-hmm. Jameson, if we want to start with you, uh, what was your overall reaction to this uh, piece? Well, you know, I, um, 
I, as a, as a Simpsons viewer, tend to gravitate much more heavily. I, I watch a little bit of all of the different periods of The Simpsons, but I gravitate more towards what we were talking about earlier, the golden age mm-hmm, of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And it and and that's what I've been watching recently. And so when I watched this, it, it was kind of a stark reminder of kind of the different direction that The Simpsons has gone in, uh, in a lot of ways. But what I also took note of was that the core of the Simpsons humor and, uh, you know, I say storytelling, there wasn't as much story in this because it was only six minutes, but mm-hmm. it's all still there. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Simpsons to me has basically three facets of its comedy and that's realist, surrealist, and absurdist. And what, what I think the Simpsons has done in, in this episode is, taken something like Loki's story, which is a lot more surreal than what the Simpsons typically deals with. And they brought it into kind of a more realist context and, you know, dealt with, you know, how the questions of how does some character like Loki relate to the world that we know in the Simpsons? Cause on, on the surface, there's not necessarily an easy relation between the two. And so I think exploring that was kind of their way of, of still having this, you know, like surreal element that was dealt mm-hmm. with in a real relatable kind of world and, uh, and plenty of the absurdist comedy too in there. So I, 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 I liked it um, because I, it felt familiar to me mm-hmm. in a uh-huh. lot of ways. And I, I thought, it did a good job for only being six minutes of, of kind of encompassing a lot of, uh, a lot of what the MCU has to offer and putting it in a Simpsons context. I think one thing I, uh, I'm sure we'll explore a little bit is that, that one shot where they had all the different Simpsons characters dressed as the different Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yeah. and that struck me as, Okay, so they're they're trying to say a lot about what I was talking about right here. That is, how does the Simpsons world coalesce with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And you got to see like what characters they would choose to be, you know, uh, Black Widow and Iron Man, and you know, it's like, well, which ones were they doing that for primarily absurdist comedic value, and which ones did they have anything? kind of meaningful to say in that um that kind of melding of characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I i like the way you you put that about the kind of the collision of the more realistic with the more absurdist or surrealistic what, what i immediately thought of when you said that was a scene where loki is in bed as bart and homer is coming to kiss him goodnight uh, <laughs> and tell him how much he loves him and even though he's in loki form Homer has no clue and just assumes it's Bart. And, and there's just that, that it's such a, a kind of mundane human interaction of like the dad tucking in his son and saying, you know, good night. I love you and turning off the light. And yeah. yet to place someone with, with Loki's personality and power and backstory in that situation and have him going, yes, father, yes, father. You know, <laughs> yes, I, yes. <laughs> I, I think I thought that I thought that was the scene that, that really, where the collision of the of the two really worked maybe best for me. Yeah. 
Well, and, and just the line where he says, finally, a functional family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the and, Simpsons is not usually thought of as a very functional family. You know, right. Back in the golden age, you had George H.W. Bush, who was saying, you know, like, we want more wholesome families and less families like the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And so right. the Simpsons then actually has an episode where they make fun of George Bush a whole lot, like George Bush. Uh, moves into Springfield and he, he like is reduced <laughs> to Homer's level and it's it's a lot of fun. But um, so there, there's that idea that The Simpsons is not to begin with a, a wholesome family, and yet you see how absurd uh, uh, family dynamics, uh, what absurd family dynamics that Loki has had to deal with. And uh, by comparison, The Simpsons seems really tame. Well, and, oh, and there's yeah. that great that great joke early on. When he, are we allowed to talk about specific? Oh yeah, scenes of joke? No, okay. go ahead. Yes, I, yeah, I don't know if we're doing spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, when he, when he first lands on the Simpsons lawn and Bart comes down out of the treehouse and so you know, can I help you? Uh, and, and Loki has the great line where he's like, "What would you know about a distant, abusive father and about?" Uh, uh, a blonde sibling who's perfect all the time, you know, and, and just establishing that. Yeah. Okay. They're from very different worlds, but there are some really similar dynamics here and just setting up that parallel I thought was done pretty nicely right at the outset. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this from with my familiar familiarity of the Simpsons originally, it was supposed to be centered around Bart and it kind of shifted to Homer, right? Mm. Uh, th- I think that's, uh, I think that's a pretty common understanding. Uh, of, okay. I mean, Bart's still very central, but yeah, Homer's got to be the the, okay. the main focus, I think. It, it's just interesting because I think back to like, I think it was season two, season three, somewhere in there, and and that scene struck me as well because I, I was thinking back to the episodes I was familiar with, mm-hmm. and I don't ever remember watching them necessarily and thinking that Homer you know, was this bad, distant dad, uh, only because like, it's a cartoon that I'm watching, you know? And, and so that's what I, like I said, to to point that out. Um, and one of the, you know, critiques of the Thor movie sometimes is, well, Odin, you know, setting Loki and Thor up and saying only one of y'all can rule and both of y'all are supposed to. Yeah, love you, my boys. Like, like <laughs> who does that? <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah. So it, I, I really like. I think you're right. I really like the, the putting those together. But I think because it's a cartoon, I don't know if, especially me watching it younger, really grasped onto that. Well, I, you know, Jameson and I have talked about this at length, so he could speak to this better. But Jameson, you might talk about the evolution of Homer's character, particularly in the in that first like five to ten years or so. Yeah, yeah. So Homer, um, you know, season one, I think, is one of the least watched seasons of The Simpsons. And it's also probably the most different. And Homer is a much different character in season one. Like, they were really still trying to figure him out throughout season one. Um, (laughs) You know, I think Homer and Bart especially were intended initially by Matt Groening, who later handed over control to some of the other producers. He was initially intended to be kind of a reflection of, of Matt Groening's father. And Bart was supposed to, I think, have a lot of Matt Groening, uh, you know, child Matt Groening and, and his character. 
Well, um, my understanding there's, is that there's a season. There's a oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh no, I was just going to say. Well, my understanding. I'm pretty sure Matt Groening's parents are actually named Homer and Marge. That's what we always heard. That he grabbed those names from his own experience. So oh, wow. they were kind of the initial model, as I understand. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but I think what's most striking from season one, and the reason I, I'm talking about season one is because season two is very much a development of season one. Um, season one, there's a scene where Homer. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly the context, but I know he's out of money and he wants beer so bad. And he's, he tries to steal money from Bart in order to go get beer. And then he looks at the money and he just breaks down because he can't believe what mm-hmm. he's become. And he goes to commit suicide, yeah. uh, which is something that would, and, and the way they deal with it, it would never happen in a later Simpsons season. So mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. they start Homer out as very much this person who has kind of lost in life and is, has a bad relationship with his family, but his heart is very much in the right place. And that's continued into season two mm-hmm. to a lesser extent. But what happened as Homer developed and the series developed is Homer became more of, he became less of a loser, kind of. He became this person who, by dumb luck, had a lot of success. And uh, as a result, you know, kind of became more cold and distant at times, yet still having moments of really, you know, tender kindness and uh, affection with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but overall, Homer was more of a comedy point than a commentary on, you know, the the American middle class in the late '80s, early '90s, which is what he started off as. Mm-hmm. And since then, he's become. They've embraced more of the. Yes, Homer can be distant. He can be cold. He can be borderline evil. But we'll still give him episodes and i think they do a good job of it they'll still will still give him episodes where he is very clearly a loving father particularly to lisa and is is a a very empathetic character at the same time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's really interesting to hear that about homer because again with my very limited knowledge of the simpsons I only really pick up on things through like just pop culture references with memes or stuff here and there. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that always surfaces up for me is that um, it's that image of Homer where he rearranges some pictures of his kids and it says, do it for her. And it's Uh, kind of like his motivational to keep going. Every time I see them, like that is so sweet for a show that my other knowledge of it is him choking out his son. So it was like, I've never had, I've never had that deep of an explanation for the Simpsons. So thank you for that. That was really cool to hear you talk through that. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, we, we've always said that, and this, uh, I know the Simpsons way better than I know just about any other cartoon show. Mm -hmm. The, the only other cartoon that's geared more toward adults that I, really fully endorses Bob's Burgers. And I think Ooh, there's yeah. a similar thing here where I think they do as well as any other, because basically the Simpsons, all of this stuff doesn't exist. You know, American Dad and uh, King of the Hill and uh, 
even you know South Park to some degree. And mm-hmm. um, oh, what's what's the um, Family Guy? Family, Family Guy. Right? Yeah. yeah. To me, what always separated the Simpsons from all their, you know, the people who came after, with maybe the exception of Bob's Burgers, is the Simpsons can do absurdity. It can do dark humor. Mm-hmm. It can do cynicism. It, it, the whole thing is satire. It's one of the greatest examples of satire. But they can also do warmth at the end of the day. And, and not in a cheesy way. That They'll show the most absurd, darkest kind of things, uh, kinds of things happen. But then at the end of the day, the Simpsons are, in fact, a functional and loving family. Whereas, you know... Uh, Family Guy to me and a lot of the others just went for the absurdity and the darkness factor and just kind of beat you over the head with like, you know, uh, he's a baby, but he wants to kill his family, you know, Mm -hmm. and the dog talks and and all this stuff that's funny, but doesn't really have any basis in reality or any kind of warmth at its center. Whereas I think Mm -hmm. uh, The Simpsons does a great job of somehow balancing those very, very extreme uh, elements. Mm hmm. I mean, you can you can look to this special itself. Y'all, y'all have already highlighted it, but the the moment at the end with Loki and Homer, like that was my note. It's like how messed up is Loki's life if this is where he's finding warmth? And right. I think mm-hmm. it is that combination of what you're talking about. Of like, it is dark, but there's still warmth to it. So that's mm-hmm. that's a really mm-hmm. interesting uh, difference differentiator uh, from those other other uh, com animated comedies and and maybe that's in a way maybe that's a a natural kind of tie-in between the mcu and the simpsons is i think i think the mcu does maybe in my view maybe not at the the same level of you know satire and psychology as the simpsons but the mcu does takes on some really dark heavy subjects and some really dark violent characters and yet there also is a tremendous amount of humor holding it together. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of, of getting to know the characters. And, and what I think is by far the most interesting is it, it's cool to get to know your heroes. But when you get your villains personified and made more complex and nuanced, you know, I don't even know whether you'd call Loki a, a villain or the, like, the most beloved. I mean, I thought one of the jokes in the show that was really good is one of the things he's accused of in the court is being more popular than all the other heroes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought that was a, a really nice, insightful line is, is I think we I think we like at least I like these complex, nuanced characters who you actually get to know that they're not a villain that you're rooting for them to just be killed and you don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. They're people who struggle and have emotions and have complex family dynamics and all this stuff that makes them way more interesting mm-hmm. um and and does provide a little bit of warmth even in the villains that i think yeah. is interesting well you know speaking of loki i mean in god okay so this show is his first thing that he's headlining um yeah otherwise you know he was the villain in thor villain in avengers uh, I think he was supposed to show up in Avengers Age of Ultron, but it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Ragnarok, and he starts to get away from that villain role, but he's still god of mischief, mm-hmm. you know? And then, More of like an anti-hero. Yeah, and then when you yeah. see his his end, um, well, not his end, I guess. I mean, you have the show, but like within the movies, you know, and we'll see what happens from here with Infinity War. Um, he, he has a really well-developed arc and not a whole lot of screen time or not getting like a title role. 
Yeah. You know, and you and you see that I think that might be the only one. Black Panther has a really good villain. Mm-hmm. And I think a really well developed villain. Um in Infinity War, what they did with Thanos was really, really good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, it, it, I think you hit the nail on the head, Rob, about the the um, complexity of villains is usually what helps make mm-hmm. compelling stories because if you can make a villain that you understand why they're doing what they're doing, you mm-hmm. may not necessarily agree with it, but if you understand where they're coming from, like that's just great narrative mining. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we we talk about that with with our seniors because we'll we'll do first semester we'll do some of the American like Western myth, the cowboy myth, and we'll watch kind of a classic old Western that has some complexity, but kind of clear villains, clear heroes mm-hmm. kind of guy. And you know who you're rooting for at the shootout mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and, and then we'll go second semester and we'll do the um, Unforgiven. The Such a good Lord, movie. Yeah. Where good luck finding a hero or a villain anywhere in that movie. You know, mm-hmm. you have people you root for, but then you're like, Ooh, I can't root for that. Mm-hmm. And then you right. have people that you think are just like evil and awful, but then you get to know them and you see their backstory and you kind of feel for them. I think, I think that's just better storytelling personally uh, because uh, I think it generates, it acknowledges there's complexity in the world, number one. And number two, it encourages us to have some measure of understanding and empathy as opposed to just cheering when somebody gets blown up and we're like, yay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, those movies are fine, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I personally enjoy the stories where, um, you know, if the villain dies, if and when the villain dies, I, I want to have some sort of feeling of sorrow for them and not just dance on their grave, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? That's something we've talked about on the pod that the MCU is starting to to tackle and wrestle with towards mm-hmm. uh, towards these later entries, especially the Disney Plus shows. And uh, mm-hmm. watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, well, go WandaVision and the villain is conceptual you know it's i'm gonna i'll leave it at that because i know you're gonna finish it Um, (laughs) but falcon and winter soldier we're looking at what the villain and what you would classically think is the henchman you know or the the villains Mm -hmm. um helpers workers whatever but no, they're people you want to cheer for or, or you understand them. And, you know, it's like, no, I, I get why they're doing what they're doing. And and mm-hmm. I really like that they're going out on that on that limb. Yeah, completely. And, 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 and not crossing a line into like, you know, some like slasher movie where you're like rooting for the person to kill people and like celebrating how effectively they kill people mm-hmm. with such variety. <laughs> you know, it, it's not like, it's not that kind of voyeuristic, like, let me root for the evil character. But it, it is that idea, like you said, of I don't like what they're doing, but I do see their backstory and I kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing and that somehow mm-hmm. humanizes them. Because mm-hmm. I, I think whenever you tap into that, there is a small part of you that starts to hope for them that like, oh, maybe they can change. Maybe there's this yeah. one thing before the irredeemable mm-hmm. act. And that's just compelling. Well, J- Julie already had that experience. We're, we're, like I said, we're just a, um, about a show and a half into the Loki series. Mm-hmm. And when they started, when they're showing him kind of the, all the different timelines, they're letting him see, even, you know, the future and kind of the, you know, his destiny played out yeah. and, and talking about how his role in the central timeline, the unified timeline is to be uh, this, this evil force that lets the others become their best versions of themselves and all of that. 
um, all that kind of predeterminism stuff, which I do want to ask you guys about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Julie was like, like really saddened by that. And she kept going like, well, but you know, like, so is he not going to have an opportunity to change? Like we were already invested in him and wanting to see him end up in a place where he wasn't just doing evil and wasn't just a villain and wasn't fated, you know, mm-hmm. to be reduced to that. So. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm hesitant to comment too much because I know you're only an episode and a half in. Right. Right. With episode <laughs> with uh, episode five coming out tomorrow. Okay. Well, yeah. No, I, I look I look forward to, no, to so seeing please, that because so Jameson and I were keep, already talking about the predeterminism idea. Yeah. Going, well, yeah. if it's really predetermination, that's gonna make for a less interesting yeah. story. Yeah. Jameson, maybe you could speak to that. I've been dominating, sorry. Personally, I find the discussion or the entry of predeterminism into the discussion really fascinating and intriguing too, because, uh, you know, in a, in a story, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, when you take a step back from watching a Marvel movie and you understand at some basic level that, you know, someone wrote this, like the ending was predetermined for mm-hmm. us right but but that's not the point of watching a marvel movie is you're immersed that's the point right. is you're immersed into the the cinematic universe and it, there's something really dissatisfying about you know just everything's predetermined because then you know as you pointed out earlier dad like the idea of free will is not there so strongly mm-hmm. you know like the actions that you're seeing them take don't seem as significant or as impactful because the end is already predetermined. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting kind of psychological thing to have in your head introduced early on in the series that predeterminism may be at play here. And so it it has me definitely intrigued to see what they do with it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I definitely had those same feelings coming out of episode one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, of just it's like, wait a minute, what about all those twenty-two movies we just watched? You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely understand that feeling. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, any time that I think Jude and I tackle a story, that's one of the things that we focus on. Whatever the MCU shows or the Netflix shows is like the choices that the char- these characters are making, because that really informs so much of the. I guess the the themes or the the whole point of the story they're mm-hmm. telling, and so if you start exploring in the space and you take away like maybe it wasn't a choice, then it's like okay, this is I don't know it, it's 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 a interesting thing and I and I like the way you had brought up about knowing on a meta level that these are quote unquote predetermined because it's written. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's it's a fun space I think they're playing with with this series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to seeing how they work it out. And obviously, you know, it's an interesting concept and they, and they must do something more interesting than just saying predeterminism period in a story, because I know that wouldn't satisfy you, Jude, as the philosophical <laughs> theology teacher that, that you are. I, I know you need more wiggle room to discuss and debate and interpret. So. Well, you know what? One of the things, even in our first review episode, um, I, I, I held back because, you know, trying to make sure I'm not walking down. I mean, it's a podcast for the MCU, right? And so I don't want to get into the weeds of that stuff, but I started getting the difference between determinism and predestination and mm-hmm. free will. And, and yeah, but I, 
and I I remember saying is like how they handle this might break make or break how I like this show. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. We 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 all hit on that same mm-hmm. that same thing as a kind of perked our ears up and we're like, wait, predeterminism? What? Mm-hmm. How's that going to work out? But uh, it's it's definitely got me even interested further. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how they handle it. Yeah. I'd be very very curious to to hear continued updates as y'all go through the series. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And so, we'll assign you Simpsons homework, and then we'll just like go back and forth. Uh, perfect. Check in periodically. Awesome. So something I want to circle back to something Jameson said. I'm really curious to hear what y'all thought about in the choices of characters. Mm-hmm. Like who was what MCU character? Because yes. mm. I I know looking at it, I I had some of my thoughts. You know, um, the for example, the Iron Man. I thought, oh, that's clever. Because Tony Stark had his demon in a bottle storyline. And even mm-hmm. they tried to do that with Iron Man 2. They didn't quite pull it off. And so I, I found that that interesting choice. I felt like Lisa made sense. She'd be worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought it was interesting that the comic book shop guy was Quicksilver and not a different character. Uh, but, you know, and then... You know some other other thoughts on there, but I'm I'm really curious why that stood out to you, and and do you think they got the characters right, maybe? Um, so I I don't. A lot of the characters I thought, like I had a reaction, like um, like yes, they got it right. Um, I think this is dead on. A lot of them I really wondered, like I'm like oh, I need I need to to give this a little more thought and think about the. Like, uh, the one in that category that stands out to me is Helen Lovejoy as Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was interesting to me. Because Helen Lovejoy and The Simpsons is consistently this, you know, she's uh, the wife of a minister. And her thing is she's, like, really gossipy. Like she She gossips a lot and that sometimes causes issues for people as one might expect. And so I'm mm-hmm. trying to like sit there and see like, what is, there's a connection between that and this very heroic figure of Captain Marvel. Um, but, okay. and then there, so there you were, bring that up. So, yeah. I was going to say, you bring that up and there's this thing and I don't know how real it is or not, but there was a big backlash by fans with Brie Larson Hmm. Mm. on the internet YouTubes and you know and all of that stuff I wonder if they were doing anything with that I liked the movie I liked Brie Larson's casting I enjoyed her work in it you know I but I'm but you bring that up and I'm just curious if if there is some kind of not nod but almost like a wink of like we know y'all gossip. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you you may be onto something there, um, especially because I you know I'm not one to really like get involved with YouTube, this or mm-hmm. that, or social media, this or that. Yeah, it's just not really my thing. But from the way it's been explained to me, the Brie Larson thing, it, there are undertones of in there, in the people who have described it to me, there are undertones of sexism and mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. the the harsh harsh criticism of Brie Larson. 
that that may not be there if she you know was a man um, oh absolutely so i so i wonder you know with with helen lovejoy being in in a lot of ways kind of a, a stereotypical you know gossipy figure um you know in that you know the the stereotype being that women are very gossipy with each other mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. then then maybe since she is kind of a stereotype of women in some ways then they were trying to kind of touch on that controversy with Brie Larson. I think mm-hmm. that's an interesting thought that you brought up. Okay. Uh, I think I'd, I'd have to go and Julie was already lo- looking it up and we were okay, who's who and, uh, and trying to match it up as best we could. My first, my initial thought was they did a, they did a really good job. And that may just be because I'm such a Simpsons apologist that <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine them not doing good stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I think in general, they did a good job. I, I do think some of them are probably, as we talked about earlier, some of them probably have a lot deeper meaning than others. Mm-hmm. Some of them are probably just like, mm-hmm. well, this would be a funny character or this would be a funny outfit to put in. I'm like, uh, is it um, is it Milhouse who is Hawkeye? Uh, uh, in that, I think I think we said like, yes. like that one was interesting to me and maybe you guys can speak to that i i you know in my experience millhouse is such a butt of the joke uh <laughs> consistently and, and i don't i guess i don't know i mean maybe is is that is that is hawkeye the butt of jokes at all or i mean he's such a you know he is definitely clearly one of the heroes and he has such a skill set that, oh, that it arrow. seemed it seemed like they were giving millhouse a little more of a kind of stud character than he than he you would expect. Trey, what's, in, <laughs> what's interesting is, I think Hawkeye is a butt of the joke. Okay, but not in the MCU. I think the MCU itself, in the narrative, has done a really good job of justifying why he's important like he's the heart of the avengers and he's the Mm -hmm. one to help give pep talks sometimes if captain america's not there and so i don't know enough about millhouse in the the simpsons to like make that comparison but i i think hawkeye is sometimes the butt of the joke i guess where i can put my punctuation Mm -hmm. on that yeah well then maybe that makes more sense than i thought maybe that works well They're, they're definitely, especially Age of Ultron, you know, Avengers 2 uh, fans are very aware that you're running around with super-powered individuals and he's a guy with a bow and arrow. Um, and he even, right. again, Age of Ultron makes a reference to it. Uh, I know, I think Jeremy Renner wasn't happy with his role in Avengers, the first one, because he spent the majority of the movie under Loki's control. And in uh-huh. Age of Ultron, he got more of what he was actually pitched on and expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that in that way, Trey's right. They've they've done a really good job of, like like you said, um, making him an important. Um, he is a hero among them and belongs with them. Uh, but he's definitely, you know, uh, they lead into it. This idea of you have a bow and arrow and you're fighting aliens or androids or robots or whatever yeah yeah i remember there was uh an snl skit that seemed to me kind of thrown together last minute um but it was basically (laughs) like making fun of the dynamics 
between the Avengers. I think the the second Avengers movie had just come out, maybe. And uh-huh. uh, and the the joke when they got to Hawkeye was like everyone was like going through and talking about you know their the the great magnitude of their uh, abilities and superpowers, and then he was like, "Well, I have a bow and arrow," so. so they were kind of like almost pointing out what i guess the mcu was wanting to kind of shy away from or be like no look i mean he he really is a a valuable asset you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i like that you brought up jude mentioning how aware the mcu is is of it as well because i can't help but think of the joke in age of ultron where i think uh black widow says something like oh yeah we need to to pretend like we need them to function as a team and it was like (laughs) They're they're very <laughs> self aware of of his involvement among the superpowered. <laughs> so I have to ask, what about your what about their choice for Captain America? What did you think for that one? Yeah, because Trey's a Captain America fanboy, so we ha- I'm, I'm curious. Who was? And I noticed they're missing. I yeah, noticed they're missing. And I say I also Steve noticed Rogers, missing Spider Man. Uh, so I noticed. Oh, I didn't even too. notice Spider Man was gone. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about that. Oh yeah, I. Well, you know what? It is Sony. Mm-hmm. That's probably what it came down to. It is Sony. Yeah. Wow. Who, who uh, did? Who did they have as Captain America? I have a list I, up. Oh, it says Herman. Yes, Herman. He's, Herman. Yeah. He's the really scary guy who runs the uh, <laughs> the kind of uh, army navy slash gun Weapons store. Weapons store. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a character who goes. They go really dark with him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I had it's it's a bizarre choice because <laughs> he's not yeah. a he's not a lovable heroic kind of uh, person. Um, that but, but oh, sorry. Um, no, uh, I I was just gonna say like, are they doing an all American kind of thing? You know, because that's he, what it feels like. He is very much, you know, like mm-hmm. he's very into and fascinated with uh, the history of American warfare, and uh, you know, has American flags all up in his shop. And uh, well, yeah, I, you know, it's, he's very focused on history and specifically America. So I wonder if that was kind of one of the more basic associations of he sells American. Uh, memorabilia you know captain america mm-hmm. we get there's some association mm-hmm. uh, I, is, yeah, is he a it, veteran you know i don't know if they ever say that's okay. a good question i think it's um, in, in a lot of ways it's assumed that he's a veteran because especially because mm-hmm. he has a lot he only has one arm um mm-hmm. you know and uh so I, I think it's kind of implied but i can't think of a single episode where they go into his past in any serious way. Okay. I, I do think you're right. That I, I think he's someone who, whether I would agree or not, or define patriotism the same way as he does, I think he would definitely see himself as a patriot, as, mm-hmm. as a deeply uh-huh. patriotic kind of person. So in that sense, making him Captain America and him, you know, he would certainly, I think, embrace that. And that's who he would want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting to me, and again, just just based off what what you were describing this character as, I like that 
for his incarnation as Captain America, it was the painted on shield on a trash can, which <laughs> like <laughs> this idea of like him believing himself to be patriotic and making like a makeshift yes. shield like that, that, yes. that makes that that much sweeter. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I know there was a, a bunch of characters in that team shot of all mm-hmm. the uh, Simpsons as Avengers characters. Despite the numbers, were there any was there anybody from the Simpsons universe you would have liked to have seen as a superhero that wasn't in that shot? That's a great question. Um, okay, I am going to take some time to think about this, <laughs> despite what I said. Take your time. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of characters that I that I really love that are not in there. I mean, we had Flanders in there. Obviously, we had Mo in there. Um, Principal Skinner. Principal Skinner would have been nice. I wanted um, because Principal Skinner is uh, for you know since you guys aren't that familiar with the Simpsons, like one of the most maybe the most controversial Simpsons episodes ever is where they delve into Sim- uh, Principal Skinner's character, and it is actually revealed that he is not who he says he is. Mm-hmm. He's actually this. Um, this guy named Armin Tamzarian who uh, fights in war with his commander, who's Seymour Skinner. And when his commander is lost in combat, um, he's charged with delivering the flag to his mother. And his mother thinks that Armin Tamzarian is Seymour Skinner. And so he doesn't have the heart to tell her that he's not her son. And... Uh, oh wow! He basically yeah, assumes his ins- life, so it gets really. What are you saying? That's heavy. Oh yeah. no, no, no! Finish it. Yeah, it's it's really heavy, um, and and so I just I, as you're saying that, and as I was thinking about it, I'm like, I would have liked to see them address the controversy with his character in some way, and I feel like they maybe could have done that. Um, through a strategic mm-hmm. casting of him as a as a Marvel character, but I would have to really think about yeah, what that character that would be. Huh. And he, and yeah, he I'd have to think about that one. Skinner was see Agnes, in Prisoner of War, and oh yeah, they do have Agnes. Oh, w- yeah. Winter Soldier. Yeah, completely Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. The uh, just a, a note on the, the episode with with where they tell about. Uh, Skinner's real name and his real background. It's that scene where he's where he's about to give the flag to her and then puts it behind his back. It's it's amazing and subtle because he says that he's like, I'm pretty sure she knew I wasn't uh, her son. And they they have these details in the scene where she says, where she's not sure. She's like, yes, you must be, you must be, and you can see her convincing mm-hmm. herself, choosing to believe that this is her son. Yeah. And then and then she she lets him into the house and says, you know go wash up for dinner. Uh, and then she whispers to him uh, up the stairs, second door on the right, like to tell him which room to go at. Uh, like mm-hmm. th- they just make it very clear that from the very beginning, she knew this wasn't her son, but she chose to believe in it. And he chose, they both chose this lie because it was so much more comforting than the truth. And that's where I think the Simpsons can get really deep and really get into some, some good psychology. Um, uh, y- y'all are convincing me. I have Disney Plus. I'm gonna have to go through these. Y- you yeah. need to. And, and at now, first, oh, go at, ahead. 
at first when you mentioned that you were uh, i forgot exactly what you said but maybe horrified that i hadn't seen many more <laughs> other than the movies just... i'm starting to understand why these these are a lot deeper than i ever gave the simpsons credit for it's mm-hmm. and and again i think we jameson and i both speak to you know we're really talking like more than anything seasons probably two through nine now our family owns dvds up through about season 17 and and i can vouch and say there's good quality stuff all the way through there and i've seen individual episodes past that that have been good but it's hard to go wrong with about seasons two two or three through about nine or ten if you're looking for a great latter uh day simpsons episode uh i -hmm. think it is season 29 Maybe no, it's season twenty-seven. Season twenty-seven. There's an episode called Barthood that's based on the movie Boyhood. So it it's one of the episodes where it delves <laughs> oh, into that's yeah. super clever. It delves into Bart's past and Bart's future in a way that very much feels like you're watching kind of a Simpsonized version of Boyhood, and it's really touching. Like I I I ended up crying when I watched that episode. That was. That was really good. That that's probably the best latter day Simpsons episode that I've seen. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'm I'm typing that down in my notes. You said Barthood, <laughs> Simpsonized version of Boyhood, season twenty one. Which I haven't seen Boyhood, but knowing what I know about it, how long it took to yeah. make that movie mm-hmm. and then the Simpsons to do it in what, twenty two, twenty four minutes and still have mm-hmm. that emotional reaction, that's that's incredible. I'm I'm so missing out on the Simpsons. <laughs> and uh just quick correction uh season 27 i believe okay cool season 27 yeah and if you want on the other end of the spectrum julie's very favorite episode is in season two with um uh what's it what's the name of the episode it's it's mr bergstrom the, the great substitute it's teacher. called lisa's substitute it's just, yeah it's just called the substitute no lisa yeah substitute. now i do remember yeah. i do remember that one that one is is really beautiful. Yeah, very, and particularly yes, I do remember teachers. that one. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for the recommendations. Yeah. I I got to say this has been an incredible conversation, and uh, I think we'd be remiss if, given the depth of your Simpson knowledge, that we didn't get a chance to to talk about how you two feel about the Simpsons in this post Disney acquisition. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it makes that me might have wonder. told me everything. No, no. <laughs> well, because well, the giant man in that, uh, that screenshot said, "This is what happens when Disney yes. buys Marvel and Fox." <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I didn't know if that was clever, annoying, or both. <laughs> yeah, and who is it holding that sign? Uh, the character's giant man. And I w- that is. Hold on, I have a website up that has a list of all of them. I'm wondering if that's. Rainer Wolf Castle. Oh, Rainer Wolf. Oh, Rainer Wolf Castle. Castle. He's the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the super action um, movie star. J- J- uh, Jameson, you you could you could speak to that. You're you interact with the Simpsons and Disney Plus a lot more than I do. Yeah, you know, um, on the the one side of things, I I really 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 enjoy having all of the Simpsons episodes. Um, and, and one convenient place where I can watch them. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's that part of me that has to admit, you know, like, yes, I'm a, a consumer and a, a very big fan of The Simpsons, and it's kind of magical 
to have them all in one place and not have to switch out DVDs every six episodes when I want to binge, wa- mm-hmm. binge watch the uh, the Simpsons. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I think I think um, I, I don't like seeing the Simpsons as a promotional material, and I know that yeah. is inevitable with some when you when you have a uh, a concept or a a TV series that is as big and famous as The Simpsons, it's almost inevitable that that is going to be the case. But I still I see The Simpsons uh, again, especially in those like seasons three through nine, as something very philosophically sacred to me, um, mm-hmm. which probably mm-hmm. sounds ridiculous to a lot of people, but I really do. And uh, so seeing The Simpsons so often like being used in promos and in these like shorts where like Maggie is, uh, you know, in the star Wars universe and stuff like trying to use the capitalize on the fact that the Simpsons is so popular in order to promote other things in Disney, essentially using the Simpsons as a vehicle to make more money. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like that at all. But although in fairness, we have to be honest and say that the Simpsons like marketed the heck out of themselves from the very beginning. I mean, Matt Groening and the people at charge were willing to sell, and, and the Simpsons will make fun of themselves for this. Yeah, it, it, it's like Krusty the Clown with all his terrible products. He'll put his name and image and likeness on anything to make mm-hmm. money. Um, but you know, the Simpsons really did market the heck out of themselves early on. Oh, I had the album. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, and they make fun of themselves, I remember, in a very big way in that the season three Treehouse of Horror, where they're like, they, they get a monkey's paw and one of the wishes that they make is for the Simpsons to be rich and famous. And <laughs> everyone's like, this is just getting so old. And they realize that, because you know, the whole thing with the monkey's paw is that there has to be some sort of curse with the uh-huh. benefit that you get from the, from the wish. So. Uh, that's kind of, you know, they, they were making fun of that from the beginning, but I view, I I mean, it's almost like two separate things, like the philosophical, um, value of the Simpsons to me is so precious and, and yet, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't, I don't like the early promotion stuff that much either. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think this Disney acquisition of the simpsons is probably it's just the latest iteration of of that kind of using simpsons in order to make money uh which is not a horrible thing in and of itself but when you use the simpsons to make uh, when the primary purpose of the simpsons seems to be like we're using it to make money Mm -hmm. then and not to convey like good satire and good philosophical messages then I think it becomes corrupted. Well, I, I'm just thinking of the first promo where it was just the Disney Plus logo and you have Bart, I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And Homer's like, boy, you better do it. And he, <laughs> you know, puts on the mouse, the mouse ears, I guess. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You said that to me yeah. to, to take a look at. You know, it's kind of like what I said about Marvel. Like, I, I, I went in early on going like, I don't want to like this. And then I was like, oh, well, how do I not like this? This is really, really brilliant and really entertaining. I I want to hate Disney uh, as this huge evil controlling corporation, but mm-hmm. having the Simpsons, I mean, number one, having the Simpsons shows some taste on their part. Uh, they, they have so many things, that, you know, they have <laughs> Star Wars. They have, this, they have so many things that Pixar, 
that I deeply, deeply love and am connected to that, mm-hmm. you know, look, look, I, I order products from Amazon every day. I would, I would feel better about myself if I ordered it from some cool local competitor somewhere and I didn't give Jeff Bezos more money, but I do enjoy you know, the products and the convenience and all of that. I, I love having the Simpsons mm-hmm. at my fingertips and being able to go do an old Disney movie or Pixar. I've, I've enjoyed the heck out of Disney plus, even though the hippie principled side of me would prefer not to enjoy it. I, what, what I hope at the end of the day is I hope that the Simpsons is able to, one of the best running gags that they had is biting the hand that, that fed them through Fox. They, they ripped Fox, mm-hmm. uh, you know, almost every episode, there was a Fox joke. I mean, what was the one we were just watching Jameson where uh, Ned, who's the super evangelical, super fundamentalist Christian, uh, Gilbert guy, he's he's trying to understand why bad things are happening in their life, and he's like, "What have we done to upset God?" And he remembers watching a scene from Married with Children, and and laughing and laughing at <laughs> one of the kind of body jokes. And he says, and then he comes back to the president. He says, "Oh, it is true. Uh, uh, Fox's slogan is true." The network. Yeah. Slogan. What do they? What is it? He says, um, "Oh God, it's true. The net or the network slogan is true." Watch Fox and be damned for all eternity. <laughs> you know. oh, that's that's great detail. Like as he's like giggling from some crude joke that they make, a lightning bolt yeah. strikes, and he goes, "Oh, <laughs> it's, it's so yeah!" Great. I just and that spirit of of rebellion and being able to you know poke fun at themselves and bite the hand that fed them i like i hope they still have some of that spirit uh even after the big paycheck they got from uh from disney so mm-hmm. oh, cool yeah i really really appreciate hearing y'all's thoughts on that and 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 again the 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 depth of knowledge that you two have of the Simpsons is incredible. So I, I want to say thank you so much for joining us on this oh, episode. Oh, thanks for having us. It was a lot of um, fun. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, like we said at the top, if you aren't familiar already, you should definitely be following Tuba Steven Records on Insta. And again, Stevens with a PH. And if you'd like to hear the music that we talked about earlier, you can find that at tubastevenrecords.bandcamp.com slash releases. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Know. Uh, at both those places or if you'd like to join our discord uh, you can find a link for that in the show notes as well yeah when you get to discord make sure you go to the roll assign click on the eye emojis so you can get access to the spoiler channels please follow us on wherever you get your podcast and the best thing you can do for us of course is to share with a friend we'd also like to thank nick sandy for the use of our theme song which is his rendition of the avengers theme you can find more of his work on his soundcloud which is linked in the show notes as well all right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Rob, Jameson, and Chu, thank you so much for doing this. Thank, thank you, Trey. Thank you, it was fun. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, James. We'll see you all next week. All right, that's that's the episode. Thank you again for doing this. That was absolutely incredible. Oh, I had, it was a blast. I hope we didn't talk your ears off too much about, yeah. about the Simpsons or anything else. To give you...
to give you an idea of where I'm at, I am going to try and I want you two to start a Simpsons podcast. Like I need <laughs> this in my life. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it, I think it's a show that's actually worthy of that kind of devotion. Well, that's I, funny. I thought I had the same, I had the same thought. It's like, Oh my gosh, here's <laughs> spinoff podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even Jameson, like when you, sorry, I just hit the mic. Jameson, when you mentioned how special that, that range of seasons is to you and you said it might sound silly, I, the the fact that you two are so passionate about it, I think, is what makes it not silly. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd That's a great way to listen play, to this all day. That is a great way to so yeah. yeah, I uh, I got my homework cut out for me. I have a little bit of a, a running history on this show of disappointing people when they recommend me shows. <laughs> I'll get to it eventually, but I, I'm really looking forward to it. Y'all sold it wonderfully. Yeah, start awesome. with season two or three and just start making your way through, and you, you'll get hooked. I think.